Welcome to Alaskwatch, the show all about Bigfoot in the great state of Alaska. I'm your host, Beans Baxter. So lace up your boots, zip up your coat, and come with me on an adventure as we explore all things cryptid in the last frontier. Hey, Last Watchers, thanks for tuning in. This is Alaska Watch, the podcast about all things cryptid in the great state of Alaska. Hope everybody's doing good out there. We're in the uh, throes of winter here in Alaska. Uh, got a lot of snow in the forecast coming up. Uh, luckily, my plow guy showed up today and knocked down a big berm that was building up in front of my garage. Uh, I have a little four-wheeler that I plow with, but it's not big enough to deal with a lot of the snow that we get and we've got a lot more in the forecast so thankful for uh, my plow guy for showing up and, and taking care of that for me because I wouldn't be able to handle it with my my little plow on my four-wheeler um, but anyway I want you guys to be sure and turn your thoughts toward June and clear your calendars because coming up June 19th and 20th is the Medellin Falls Bigfoot Festival in Medellin Falls Washington uh, tickets are available now, I believe, if you just go to Facebook and type in Medellin Falls Bigfoot Festival or go to Google and uh, search it. I believe you will be able to find the website to buy the tickets. It's pretty simple. I believe there's two tiers of tickets available, uh, VIP and then general admission. There's going to be a lot of great speakers there. Uh, Amy Boo's going to be there. Will Omer's going to be there. Thomas Seawood, myself. Uh, Bob Gimlin's going to be putting in an appearance. It's, it's going to be amazing. So be sure you guys check it out and uh, if you can get there get there you might want to buy your tickets and make your accommodations now it is a small town uh, they do have limited accommodations so make sure you get in now before uh, this tickets sell out i do believe they're going to sell out so anyway today we've got something a little different if you guys remember back in the late 90s i'm sure if you're of a certain age especially around my age you probably remember the collectible card game craze that was going on uh, it kind of started with Magic the Gathering, and it kind of moved out to other things. I know when I was in college, I was really into the Star Wars collectible card game. It kind of came out around the time of the uh, resurgence of Star Wars in the late 90s there. I had boxes and boxes of those cards. I don't know where they are now. Somewhere between college, the military, and moving to Alaska, they're, they're gone. I, I gave them away, or they were destroyed or lost. I don't know. I wish I still had them. But today we're going to be talking about a new collectible card game that's coming out soon and one that's based all around cryptids. If you guys head on over to metazoogames.com, that's M-E-T-A-Z-O-O-G-A-M-E-S, metazoogames.com, you can read and see all about the new MetaZoo game card game that's coming out. It's a new collectible card game. It's based around cryptids. Uh, I think it's going to be really cool. And today we're going to be talking to the creator of the MetaZoo game, card game. His name is Michael Waddell. Uh, he's going to be giving us some cool information about the card game in the interview and uh, where you can pick it up. Uh, I believe if you guys have any kids or grandkids that are into collectible card games or into cryptids, this might just sort your uh, Christmas and, and birthday shopping right here. Uh, so th this interview here might just take care of it. So anyway, guys, I uh, appreciate you listening. Let's uh, get into our chat with Michael, and uh, I hope you check out metazoogames.com. 
All right. So um, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this stuff. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Michael. So uh, what can you tell us about this new card game, MetaZoo? Sure. Um, so I'm going to kind of start at the beginning and give you kind of a uh, an aerial view of, of what the game is about, what we want it to be, and, and kind of where it is right now. Um, so the, the whole genesis of the idea was I'm a big um, gamer, especially in the trading card game uh, world. Right, so I grew up playing Pokemon and Magic, and um, back in I would say fall 2018, I was really disheartened by where I was kind of seeing what the kind of you know Magic Gathering, the Yu-Gi-Ohs, and the the Pokemon's of the world, what they were doing with their product, which was you know in the case of Magic, they were focusing very much on uh, kind of pricing their products in such a way that it really it was focused more on, you know, people who could afford like hundred dollar booster packs versus, you know, the kid that would go into a gas station and, you know, use leftover lunch money to buy like a booster pack. Right. And that's kind of the, the TCGs that I grew up with. Um, and in the, the case of, of Pokemon, like vintage product is really fantastic, but I really wasn't a huge fan of what they were doing with the modern products with, um, it just didn't feel special or collectible to me and i know that a lot of people felt a very similar way um and that's why there's just been this huge boom um and or boon rather and um vintage product prices where people are spending tens of thousands of dollars on old pokemon because they're trying to recapture some of that magic that, that they felt when they were a kid right um so i can't afford uh <laughs> booster boxes and um, I'm not a huge fan of what Wizards of the Coast is doing with Magic. So I kind of embarked on this journey to start my own trading card game. Um, and I wanted it to have the same vintage feel that Pokemon had back in the late 90s and early 2000s. And I wanted it to have some of the same complexity of gameplay that Magic has, right? I didn't want it to be like a kid's game, but I also didn't want it to be but I also wanted I wanted to be appealing to the kids as well, right? Um, but I wanted to have a competitive scene that was taken seriously. Um, cryptids were interesting to me ever since I was a kid. You know, I grew up in Brazil, and um, the cryptid community there is, is different. But you know, it was it was something that always fascinated me. So when I came to the U.S. for college, um, and the cryptid community here is so much more developed and widespread and kind of meaningful to kind of the cultural history of the u.s you know i became obsessed and so for me it was a very natural decision to focus on cryptids um especially since i know that the cryptid community in and of itself is very passionate and it's very large right um and so i knew that if i could tap into that there's already a bunch of baked in like fan base that I could kind of um, target, right? So I know that, like, if you look at Instagram, there are millions and millions of posts um, of people who are doing fan art of Mothman, Bigfoot, of all these small, like, small-town cryptids as well, right? Not just the big ones. Um, so there's this huge, like, cultural movement that's happening right now in the country that I think is, is very meaningful to people. And, um, you know potentially if, if there was like 
a game like MetaZoo that can kind of centralize all that passion. Um, it could be something that starts influencing our, our kind of cultural heritage even more. Um, so that was kind of the motivation behind choosing cryptids for the game. Sorry, that was a long spiel. <laughs> yeah, you just, uh, you just caused me to have an epiphany there where I realized, that, you know, because I engage in, in looking for Bigfoot quite a bit and I, I just kind of had an epiphany. I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm a Pokemon hunter. <laughs> <laughs> right, and, 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 you know, it's special because, like, if you look at what's happening with Pokemon, people are looking back to 20 years ago and they're like, or, you know, 25 years ago now, and they're like, this was something that was special to me back when I was a kid. So, like, engaging with the product now is something that's nostalgic for me. I think we even have a better thing where it's like this stuff is out there in the real world um, and it's a part of our history. And so it's not just engaging with like some show that you had as a kid, like we're engaging with a part of our history when you, you know, when you're playing MetaZoo, for instance, and that's, that hits on a, a nostalgic nerve that is like, I think more powerful than what people experience with Pokemon. Right. I mean, I can definitely speak to attest to the nostalgia of things. I mean, I'm a, of a certain age where, you know, things like uh, Star Wars and, you know, uh, Super Friends and He-Man and all that kind of stuff. You know, it just I just have that fondness for it. And, you know, I, I got to admit, you know, there's times when I spend my money on that stuff just because I, I miss that 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 feeling, you know, that I had back then when I you know used to engage in those things. And um and there's a, and, and something you said about the history of things too. It really struck a chord with me because right now I'm doing a lot of research uh, into an area here in Alaska called Port Chatham, where you know it has a long history of uh, of Bigfoot sightings, and you know it's a, basically a ghost town now. And I'm trying to track down people that live there, and they're all they're all of advanced age, and they're starting to die. And yeah. and in fact, I just missed uh, an opportunity to interview one of the residents. Uh, that just, I mean, she just died within days of me, you know, reaching out to contact her and, you know, we've got to, we've got to start preserving this stuff or it's going to go away. And what's, what's important about that is it's, it's not going to be important really until people recognize that 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 opportunity is gone. Um, and that we're actually like living in it right now. Right. So if you look at something like the Sally Gasser or, um, even more recently, the um, Fresno Nightcrawlers, right? Fresno Nightcrawlers, that was from like six years ago, and now it's like everywhere, right? So this is like, it's an evolving culture, and new things are entering in, into kind of the public consciousness. But like you just mentioned, things like certain um, stories are exiting that, that consciousness as well, right? Because, um, you know, if, if you look at like the fearsome critters, um, you know, things like, um, the snally gas or things like, you know, cactus cat, things like, um, uh, fusel, like all these different things that in the 19 or 1800s were a huge part of the lumberjack community. Now, all we have from that folklore are, are like a, a few, like somewhat crummy books, right. From that were written in like 1910 to 1930. Um, so I think it's our responsibility um, to preserve this in a way that's interesting and will hopefully kind of um, interest generations in the future. And I think things like MetaZoo um, and other products that are 
within the crypto community are a really, really good way of kind of leaving a trace and, and promoting a message where, where before people didn't really care about these stories. Now they do. Right. Um, and so, you know, a really good example of that is like the Cumberland dragon where, um, it is a, a story about, you know, a dragon type creature, um, that people had experiences with, but they didn't, um, like there's not, it didn't strike enough of a chord like Mothman did, for instance, where like a bunch of creative people like started drawing images of it. Like there's not a museum for it. It's just like one of those stories, but now we can bring that story to light, uh, in a way. And it's one of our most popular cards. Um, so now that like we almost drive new people into the culture, um, in that way, which I think is a really fantastic part of what we're doing. Right. And I was looking through the website here at some of your featured cryptids and, you know, I, I consider myself pretty, pretty, pretty well versed in the cryptic community. I, I mean, I, for a few years, you know, I pretty much eat, lived and breathed uh, uh, cryptids. And uh, I got to say, man, there, there's some cards in here that made me kind of, you know, what is that? Kind of, you know, scratch my head. And you you guys did your homework on these cards. I mean, I, my, I think one of my I mean, personal favorites, because I grew up in the area, is the Hopkinsville Goblin. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, people seem to really like that one. Um, and we have a, a whole theme deck that's, like, built around it. So um, it's just one of those, like, super interesting stories that has kind of, like, uh, an iconic imagery to it right like the things on the log house or the wooden ha- cabin right and this farmer with a shotgun trying to get these things off his roof right like that is such a um a quintessential folktale that like but, but it's representative of what a lot of these stories are right but some of them take and some of them don't and it's a real tragedy when some of these these stories just kind of fall to the wayside um, when, when they, they're, again, they're important to our cultural heritage. Right. Well, like I said, I grew up not, not very far at all from, from there, from where that happened. And I didn't really know about it until I was much older and it actually, I think maybe even moved away from the area. I didn't find out about it till I got the internet. And, uh, you know, I, I, I grew up like literally probably 45 minutes from there. Right. Yeah. So, um, sorry, go on. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, how, how did you like go about picking your cryptids for the, for the game. So it was honestly, it was about a year long process of doing research. Um, I wanted cryptids that like, look, I could fill the entire game with nothing but Sasquatches if I wanted to. Um, so I had to choose cryptids that were important, um, cryptids that were sufficiently different from each other. Um, it's like, you'll have like a central story and then you'll have kind of in the surrounding geographic areas, stories that are like related to it and maybe like that same story but with the twist so you had to kind of identify which of the which part of the tale was like the most important one um we and, you know and since we are creating a game with like spells and whatnot uh and you know these cryptids have abilities like you want cryptids that are you know in different categories right so like the thunderbird is obviously a lightning type and um you know you have um, the uh, rock slide bolter that is, you know, something like earth type, right? It's something that is related to mountains, whereas a thunderbird is related to thunderstorms. So, and then, so that those kind of identifying the big ones, so the Mothman, the Jersey Devil, um, 
that was easy, easy enough to do. It was kind of filling out the gaps with lesser known cryptids that required a little bit of research, right? Um, and then cutting out really good choices for cards because they they were there was either a version of them that already like so for instance we have skunk ape in the second set but we our main sasquatch for the, the first set is going to be bigfoot and so you know like we have a lot of people who really like the skunk ape but we decided that it was just one too many sasquatches for this first set so we had to move into another set and make some tough decisions right um and so it was, it was a balance of everything. And then we had people who, like, they reached out to us, and they're like, hey, I've heard about the game. If, if you guys are still accepting card ideas, um, you know, they would request a cryptid. And so, like, you know, we had the Alabama White Thing um, that was, you know, essentially a, a user-submitted cryptid. And what's really special is, is we have people who reach out to us, kind of like your story with Hopkinsville Goblin, and they're like, you know, it's really meaningful to me that um, you have a cryptid that's like special to my small town, and like you know, we have a small little gift shop associated with it. But like, this is going to be something that like it, it's it's meaningful to them that um, their small town history is being recognized. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of it's been user driven, and then kind of the base of that research was done by me personally. Uh, really a year before um, the game started kind of being released to the public. Right. And uh, is it, so it's a, it's a collectible card game and you said there's spells involved. I'm I'm, I played the old <laughs> star Wars uh, CCG back when it, you know, back in the late, late, late nineties. And that's really my only experience with uh, collectible card games. So is it, similar to that or is it more like you know you said it's kind of like pokemon where they can and they can cast spells and stuff so is that uh, just uh kind of maybe walk me through how the, the game is played like what what do i need is a starter set to sit down and get this game going sure sure um so the whole like the premise of the game is is you know a thousand years ago a veil was put into place and um that veil is the things that like make cryptids hard to spot or see or photograph and it's because they're hidden behind it and that same veil um is the thing that made magic kind of disappear from our collective folklore you know a thousand years ago as well um and the whole premise of the story is in like 2022 the veil is removed and cryptids and magic kind of return to the world um and so, yeah, the, the game has cryptids, and the cryptids can battle, but there are also spells, there are artifacts that are all taken from the real world um, that have some basis in folklore or, you know, um, mythology or a really U.S. focus. So, like, we have the Fountain of Youth in it, for instance, um, which is a, you know, a Florida kind of uh, part of the Florida mythos, right? Right. Um, and we have like the Kensington runestone, for instance. So things like that. Um, and the big kind of what I would call the innovative mechanic is recognizing that the cryptids are a part of our world. It makes sense to me that your surroundings um, should impact the power of your cards, right? So if you're trying to play uh, a Piazza bird, which is you know a fire type cryptid, right? Um, if you're trying to play that 
in the middle of winter, it's gonna you're not gonna get all the boosts that you would get if you were playing it, I don't know, in the desert, for instance. So there's that real world aspect that actually affects gameplay, and that is not something that exists um, in Magic: The Gathering, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh. It's a it's a somewhat unique mechanic to our game. Yeah, that sounds that sounds awesome, and the storyline you're you're telling me about there i'm like i want to see that i want to see a cartoon or something based on that well what we're doing is i'm writing um a serialized illustrated uh story so every week or every two weeks a, a new chapter will be released and it'll be um kind of in book form but it'll be illustrated book form so it'll have like a few images every page and like the whole idea is that that's kind of the the medium through which the story is told and then the, the cards are used to kind of supplement that story. Awesome. And you said this has an American slant on it. So I assume uh, there's probably plans for a, uh, a regional, more regional uh, expansions. <laughs> yeah. So the, like the first few sets are going to be based entirely on us cryptids. Um, but then the, the next block of sets, what we call, um, a block, right, which is just a comprised of like a, a central theme of, of, upon which like these sets are built, right, um, is going to be uh, yokai. So, if you think about what, from a cultural perspective, the 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 role that yokai play in, in Japan and more generally, kind of the some of the Asian countries is um, they're not they're they're actually like an older version of cryptids in the sense that. Um, dating back hundreds and hundreds of years, these were things that people thought existed and were walking among them and that they spotted and that were actively influencing their lives. So when I, you know, when I think about kind of the theme of cryptids being real and impacting our lives and being part of our cultural history, it's very much the same story of yokai. So yokai will be kind of that second thing that we tie into the story in the second block. Wow, that sounds awesome! You got it planned out for uh, future installments. Uh, I, I got to ask, man, uh, what what kind of Alaska cryptids are we going to see in, uh, in in the in the card game here? Okay, so this is um, this is a difficult thing, and I, and so the the two cryptids that I can point to that really are, or maybe three is, um, and and it's debatable as to whether or not these are Alaskan, but uh, we have the Kushtaka. I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. Uh, which is a sea otter type Sasquatch. Um, that's kind of like a boogeyman. Um, and then we also have the Tisharuk, um, which is kind of a, a serpent type cryptid. Um, and if you know it, and then we have like the Gigi bird, which is something that is a fearsome critter, but like there are also stories about it existing in Alaska. The problem with a lot of Alaskan, cryptids is that they have um their basis in um native american culture or folklore and as a white dude um who lives in new york city my <laughs> attempt to talk about culture the, the cryptid culture in a way that is um both meaningful but respectful um it it's something that like these these um indigenous cryptids there are a few of them but i i'm not comfortable adding them into the sets just yet until i have someone who i would like who's an expert in that field who can 
talk about ways of representing them in a respectful way. Because a lot of these indigenous cryptids are still very much a part of the lives of a lot of these indigenous people. Um, and I want to be respectful of that. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I understand. And the Kushtaka is, uh, it's, it's an interesting it's an interesting legend because it's one of those that it, it's kind of like a boogeyman where it's like, it'll, it's, it'll take yep. you, but they've yep. also yep. been known to be helpful too. So it's one of those kind of double edged things where it's like, is it good? Is it bad? Is it, you know, it's like a lot of the native legends, you know, it's, it's not necessarily all the, all the time bad. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, and that speaks to kind of, um, you know, if you look at, kind of the Greek gods or whatever, um, depending on kind of the, the mythology that you look at, the complexity of the, of the character and what they represented um, was often a function of how integrated they were into society, right? Like it's easy for a, a like a minor god, for instance, in, in the Greek mythology to have like one role, especially if he or she wasn't important, right? But once like a god plays a role in the actual history and, and, and there are a bunch of stories associated with it that, that adds complexity to the character and it makes it harder to say whether or not it's good or evil, right? Um, like definitively. So if you, a lot of the indigenous cryptids are in that same realm where it's like they were, they are, they were and are still part of the history and so there are so many stories associated with them that it makes it hard for me to say, Hey, the Kushtaka needs to be a, a dark creature because it's <laughs> it's evil, right? And then like, but if I say that and I'm, I say that definitively, I could you know piss off some people who say that. Well, there's a lot more nuance to that, right? Um, and I just don't know how to navigate that yet. Um, so it's something that I think that we need to address in a future set, but in a way that um, maybe we have more resources that will allow us to do it in a more delicate way. Yeah, or you know, yeah, I I can see that, or maybe have them uh, uh, be be able to be on both sides or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so we've talked about the game, we've talked about how to play the game, we've talked about what it consists of. Where and when can people get it, Michael? So you can pre-order it now, um, and uh, the release month is March, so uh, shipments will start going out. Um, people will start getting them. Um, you can get them on the metazoomarketplace.com but we also have a distributor golden distribution who is distributing the product to their distribution network of local game stores um so their distribution network is is more limited than the big ones so if you have a local game store that you go to just like you know talk to the owner if you have that kind of relationship with them and ask uh, whether or not they will hold MetaZoo, and if not, to either contact Golden Distribution or to uh, have the local game store contact their own distributor to actually start holding MetaZoo. But yeah, um, coming out in March, and you can basically order whatever you want now, although things are selling out, um, which is great, but also, <laughs> you know... Um, it's, I guess it sucks for the people who miss out, but that's why we have multiple print runs that we're going to be doing. So uh, good news and bad news, I suppose. Yeah. Actually that, that spurred me to ask you, I was going to ask if they were going to be limited edition and if you miss out on the first wave, is that it? Or, you know, the collectability of it. Yeah. I mean, this is the print run for this first Kickstarter driven set. Um, you know, we only have 2,500 booster boxes. Um, 
a few thousand of each of the other products. And like, we've already sold out of, of all the theme decks and we've sold out of, um, I think all the blister packs as well. So, um, it's, I wanted more product in stock for when people like when the release was actually happening, but people have been really, um, eager to pre-order this stuff. And, um, it's going to get the game out there regardless. And, and, it's going to drive kind of the justification for getting a new print run under underway. Right. And so for those that are in the uh, collectible market for such things, I, I uh, assume uh, you're saying sooner is better in uh, picking these up. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I don't want the secondary market to get out of control. Uh, but at the same time, like I handed out maybe 10,000 sample cards and um to, for free to people right and um i know that they're selling on ebay for 25 to 100 dollars now um so like the secondary market is already taking off which is a good thing it, it indicates a healthy primary market uh, but people view this as something that's highly collectible and um i think that's justified i just want people to play the game as well you know so i want to kind of drive that the price is always going to be really cheap on the primary market, like what we market or what we priced it for on the marketplace, like the MetaZoo marketplace. Um, but then whatever people end up taking that and selling it on eBay, we can't really control that. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you <laughs> what, Michael, go ahead. Sorry, go on. No, you go ahead. <clears throat> yeah. I guess, I guess our point is, is, is we're never going to like price the, the product in such a way that it will exclude people. Like we want those kids going to the gas station and buying our packs right off the rack with leftover lunch money. We don't want our booster packs to be like a hundred dollars. Even if someone turns around and sells it for a hundred dollars, like the next day, right. that's not our interest. Yeah. Well, man, it sounds like you're making a great, a great game, an entertaining game and an affordable game. And it's about a subject that I'm really passionate about. So I'm going to be sure and check it out. Uh, you know, everybody out there that listen to this show, obviously they're into cryptids. So I'm, I'm hope every one of them uh, at least, you know, checks it out. Maybe games aren't their thing, but you know, it's always the collectability aspect of it too. So uh, yeah. Any, any, anything else you want to uh, shout out where they can get the, your website or any contact info? Yeah. Um, so metazoogames.com and then metazoomarketplace.com are our main websites. You can follow us on Instagram, uh, metazoo underscore games. Um, and we just post a lot of cool contact, like context for the game, but also, um, you know, product images and, and artists, um, who are doing really cool stuff, fan art sometimes, like we're really trying to build a really positive and engaged community. So join us. Like we, we want you there. Awesome. All right, Michael, thank you so much for coming on and all you people out there, be sure and check out metazoogames.com. Big thank you to Michael for coming on and speaking to us. I really am excited about this new card game. Uh, I think it's going to be really cool. They've put a lot of work into it. Uh, I consider myself pretty well versed when it comes to cryptid and cryptid lore. And I've seen some of these cards that they're coming out with that made me scratch my head and run to Google. Uh, what, you know, what the hell is this thing? So they've really, really done their homework on there. A lot of really cool obscure cryptids. Uh, if you have kids or grandkids, or even yourself that are interested in collectible card games. Um, you can, you can buy the cards, play the games, or you can just collect them. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a secondary market for them. They might be a good investment for you. So, uh, check them out go over to metazoogames.com 
uh, check it out. They're getting ready to launch here. I believe March 1st is the drop date. Uh, they've got a timer counting down on the website. So head over there and check them out. I think it's going to be really cool. Really excited to see some quality cryptid products coming out. You know, so often in the, in the cryptid world, a lot of cryptid products that you see, they're just kind of bo cheap baubles or chotskis that you see like in a in a tourist trap or something like that. But uh, I think this is, this is a quality product, and I think it's going to give you a lot of entertainment if you pick it up, if you're into that kind of thing. So anyway, guys, uh, be sure and check out the Alaska Watch podcast webpage. That's at alaskawatchpodcast.com. There's uh, links to the podcast on there. You can listen to it in an embedded player. There's uh, news news on there about places I'm going to be, things I'm going to be doing, uh, podcast appearances I'm going to have, and uh, all kinds of cool stuff on there. Eventually, we're going to have a store up on there where you're going to be able to buy Alaska Watch swag and my books and stuff like that. So uh, swing over there and uh, give us a peek. Uh, if you like the podcast, give us a like and review. Uh, head on over to the YouTube page as well. Check out some of the videos I got over there. There's links to the videos in on the website. And uh, I really appreciate you listening, guys. And uh, be sure and check out metazoogames.com. Like I said, it's so rare to get quality cryptid products here in, in this genre. And uh, I, think, uh, I think Michael might be onto something with that. So appreciate your time and uh, hope you guys really enjoy the rest of winter out there. Uh, hopefully uh, the worst is over. Thank you.